Good morning. Every church uh, has its history and tradition. And we have a couple of ones in this church which are have just gone on ever since we've been here. One is that the preacher never speaks to the person who's leading the service, and the person who's leading the service never speaks to the preacher. So we come with our different themes. And when Jill said this morning she had this laid upon her heart that, say it again, that God... God plans it. I thought, well, I just as well sit down now because that's my sermon. <laughs> so, there we are. God is saying something to us this morning. Although I'm going to say it slightly differently, that's basically all I'm trying to say this morning is God's plans are better than ours. Don't fear. Don't worry. God has it in control. You have two choices this morning. Go into the next how many years we have full of anxiety and worry about what God may not happen, or you can trust God, and he is actually in control. That's the whole message, but we're going to send a little roundabout way getting there, so just for our entertainment and education. So, once upon a time, a story for you. A long time ago, in a far distant land, there was a group of farmers and they tilled the soil and grew their societies. And they had two problems that they had to solve. The first problem was the just unending curiosity of human beings. They wanted answers to why they were there, where they came from, and where they were going. So they invented religion. Second problem they had was how do we govern ourselves? What rules do we have? What's right and what's wrong? And so they looked to religion. Now, my farmers in a far distant land, afar, could be pretty well anywhere on this planet like about five, 6,000 years ago. We could start from uh, Egypt, and we find the story that comes out of Egypt is this story of many gods, polytheism, lots of different gods, each god having its own virtue, its own reason. We could go back to ancient China, and you'll find something similar. We could go, certainly go um, to India, and we'll find a lot of the same there. Some of the things we know more about, we could look at the Middle East, and we find the stories in the Bible of the Baal and, and Moshek and, and all these different gods there. The story that is most relevant to us in this country actually comes from a group of farmers who were then on an island um, in, this, in, in the Mediterranean. And they moved from that island, their civilization took them to mainland Greece. And they started in mainland Greece. And although they didn't know it, their stories and their um, the development led to today's civilization. So we're going to look a little bit of the initial story that they came up with. Now, I'm looking around, and I'm realizing that you're all mature people, and there's no tiny children here. But just bear in mind, these stories were their truth. This is what they looked to for truth and guidance. And I'm reading this straight off Wikipedia, so no one can tell me I made it up. Right? 
But I want you to ask yourself, as you listen to these stories, okay, what is right? What is wrong? What is desirable? What is not desirable? What is the message you're giving your children? What are the grounds on which you're going to build your society? Of course, the interesting question is which came first? Did they develop these stories to explain their society or did they base their society upon these stories? It's obviously a mixture. So, I'm going to take it from Wikipedia. We're talking about the ancient Greeks way back, way back when. Um, Biblically, you're talking about the time of the judges, that sort of time. The most widely accepted version at the time is reported by Hesiod in his Theogony. So if you think you have some difficult words, I've got to come. (laughs) Now, this is interesting. He began with something he called chaos, a yawning nothingness. Out of this void emerged Gaia, the earth. Yeah, that sounds a bit like Big Bang Theory today, doesn't it? You know, there was nothing, and all of a sudden there was something. Now, here's your first problem. How? How? Well, they just don't answer it in the same way that modern people don't answer it. But they suddenly produced Gaia from nowhere. And there was a few other uh, minor ones that came along at the same time, but we'll leave those out. But it was mainly Gaia. Then, without any help... actually, whatever, Gaia gives birth to Uranus, which was, of course, we now look at names we get familiar with, the the god who who became, we we named a planet. Um, But Uranus is the god of the sky. Now, Uranus then fertilizes, inverted commas, Gaia, and from that union were born the Titans. And you have a list of gods. Now, Remember this, you cannot kill a god. This was their, their, their story. Gods are immortal. They cannot die. So you have these titans, and they've got names like Kronos, from which we take the name Sky, Oceanus, from which we take the name Oceans, and so it goes on. They were followed by a few others. Um, anyway, at the end of the story is that uh, one of these titans... Kronos uh, uh, got particularly angry and felt that he should uh, be more important than he was. And so Kronos um, kills his father. So here's what message you're giving. You're saying to people who follow this sort of faith, yeah, killing your father's okay if you get away with it. it it's not a bad thing to do because you then become the king. So Kronos becomes the king. Now, when Kronos becomes the king, he starts having his own children. And he starts thinking, oh, hang on, I killed my father. I I better be careful that my son doesn't kill me. And he has a son who he calls Zeus. Getting more familiar? He calls him Zeus. And... He has um, lots of children, and he thinks, right, I'm not going to let these kids kill me. So guess what he does with his children? He eats them. 
right? But remember, you can't kill a god. So by eating his children basically means they have to live inside of him. Uh, now, Zeus's mother was slightly cleverer and hid Zeus and gave um, Kronos a, a, a stone wrapped in a blanket, which he thought was Zeus, so he ate the stone. and was a bit thick, and that was it. Zeus grows up. What does Zeus do? Well, you can guess what Zeus does, don't you, right? Zeus kills his father. And when the father dies, all the other children who were inside of Zeus come out. Right? And now you have... Um, these gods, Poseidon, who uh, we, we might name, you might be familiar with, Hades, you might be familiar with that name, um, Hera, you might be familiar, but you have the gods who become the Olympian gods. So these now become the gods of Olympus, and those were the gods that the, the ancient Greeks came to worship, and this was their explanation of how they got there. But I want you to look at, just ask yourself a few questions. Here are two problems. The first problem is, what is right, what is wrong? There is no right, there is no wrong. It's basically, might is right. If you can get away with it, that's fine. So your society grows up with this moral um, example. What is right is might. And if you can kill your father and get away with it, fine. And the story gets quite involved, as you can probably imagine, because um, you can't kill gods, so Zeus has to throw the gods into um, hell, which is where the, the, the words for hell come from, and they're locked away for eternity in dark places. And anyway, it goes on. But the problem is this. There is no right, there is no wrong. The second problem they had was that uh, in order to make all this work, they have this idea of fate, that it is fated or prophesied that. And those of you who may have read things like the Iliad and, and, and uh, ancient Greek stories, if it's full of, it was prophesied that, it was fated that. Right, okay, so can you all see the problem here? Who fated it? How did it get fated? And the underlying problem between all um, polytheistic religions is you have not solved the basic problem, which is where did it come from? You have not taken away the existence of an eternal God, a one eternal God. That problem is still there. You have hidden it, you've made up stories, and one is really tempted to think the reason for this is because as soon as you have one God, you have one right and one wrong. And you have moral conviction. And you have responsibility. And you have a society that has to have laws based upon the teaching of the one God rather than might is right. There is the problem. And that was how ancient Greece grew up with this. And if those of you who read the stories of ancient Greece know what a violent society it was, how you know, warfare was, was part of living, and it was the, the right was, was there. But God has not left these people alone. And this is the wonderful thing, that we, we t as Christians, we tend to think of our history down the, 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 the christo judaistic line. And we're looking all the time at the Old Testament, 
for moral guidance. Well, let's see what happened to the ancient Greeks. Because about 400 years before Jesus, their society was settled, but there was obviously some disquiet in their society about this sort of teaching. And they had a remarkable man comes to light. 400, about 400, well, exactly 400 years before Jesus. His name was Socrates. And Socrates becomes the first of three great minds. There was Socrates. He has a, a, a pupil who is called Plato, who has a Pluto who is called Aristotle. Socrates started to teach that this might not be right. This, this whole idea of might is right, um, it's, it might not be right. You may need to rethink about this. And so Socrates was actually, when he was 70, put on trial for his life because he had corrupted the youth. That's what they said. And the tradition in those days, he was found guilty. The tradition in those days was you could choose your own punishment. So he said, right, this is what my punishment should be. You should give me a house and food for life because of all the good things I've taught you and what I've done for you. So they said, right, okay, we'll kill you instead. So they did. So Socrates was killed and executed by the Athenian state, that's the state from Athens where Paul was preaching, because he did not believe in those gods and he challenged the belief of those gods. So we can see the eternal God is still bringing people to challenge all these societies. Socrates is followed by Plato, who I'm not going to tell you, any, most of you must have heard about Plato. Most philosophy today starts with Plato. He was one of the most brilliant minds that uh, our planet has produced. The trouble for Plato is that his pupil, who followed him, was even cleverer. And really, if you were to take any Basque, anybody anywhere, the ten cleverest people who have ever existed on the planet, you have to put Aristotle in there somewhere. No matter what your belief is, you'd have to put Aristotle in there. And Aristotle was just a genius. Um, he started science, he started... Well, we won't go into Aristotle. Aristotle was actually chosen by Philip II of Macedonia to be the tutor to his son. The result was his son became Alexander the Great and conquered the world. That's the sort of thing you've got with Aristotle. He's, he's that Aristotle wrote this. Now, this is really worth listening to carefully. It's a, I, I've tried to take some of the big words out, but um, there's still a few big words here. But this is what Aristotle wrote. Bear in mind he's a Greek. Bear in mind his background is polytheism. He's not got the Ten Commandments. He's not got the Talmud. He's not got the Jewish scriptures behind him. And this is what he said. Life belongs to God. For the actuality of, of thought is life. And God is that actuality. And the essential actuality of God is life most good and eternal. We hold then that God is a living being, eternal, most good, and therefore life and a continuous eternal existence belong to God, for that is what God is. So he 
really is, it lays the foundation for theistic belief uh, of a one true God who created all things um, outside the whole Jewish uh, tradition. Now, Aristotle, as I said, became the, um, he was the teacher of Alexander the Great, so no one was going to lock him away as they did with Socrates. At this time, um, Greece is a little tiny area, and they managed to produce Alexander, and they get attacked by the Persians. Uh, Alexander, in order to defend Greece, has to go to war against the Persians. Um, He wins, and the trouble with with, with, um, Alexander, he doesn't know where to stop, so he just carries on, and he basically conquered the whole of the then known world. Um, 100 years later, in fact, um, he's conquered the whole known world so well that the Jews have to translate their scriptures into Greek because no Jews speak Hebrew anymore. They all speak Greek. And we have the Septuagint, which was the Bible that Jesus used. So you can see the massive influence uh, that, Alex, that, that Aristotle had in, in very various ways. But the point I want to point out is here is a massive change in, in society. Before Greece... You've got a polytheistic faith, um, lots of broken down society. After Greece, the whole world speaks the same language. It's still polytheistic, but there is this uh, line in all thinking coming from Aristotle, where Aristotle has said, you can have your gods, but we hold, I, Aristotle, hold that there is life... um, we hold then that God is a living being, eternal, most good, and therefore life as a continuous, eternal existence, belonging to God, for that is what God is. He, he brings in the tension now between polytheism and one God. And I put it to you that if you have a polytheistic belief, you have no moral values. Your moral values are which God you choose. You can choose your God. Therefore, you can choose your moral values. This is why rebellious human beings don't want a message of one God. Because one God, one truth, brings one, one morality, makes us accountable for our actions. Here is the tension. With, and I'm following this through here, not down the, the Jewish traditional route that we understand, but through this route as well, to show us that God's hand is on all society at all times. And he is excuse me, the God of all people. So, we are now about 250 years before Jesus, where the Greek language is covering the world. Um, What happens? What happens over the, the next... 250 years, is that Greece has a choice. They can follow the line of Aristotle or they can continue following the polytheism. Uh, I've got a one line here just for you to think about. Someone once asked, what would the world be like today if Russia had listened to Dostoevsky and Tolstoy rather than Marx and Lenin? Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, just for those of us who were Christian apologists, they wrote the most wonderful writings um, in the end of our Victorian ages, Russians, that were making the case for God, basically. Russia chose to follow Marx and Lenin 
um, we are where we are today. Greece has the same sort of decision at this time. Are they going to follow the polytheism or are they going to follow Aristotle? But unfortunately, they're continuing to follow polytheism. The result was they were conquered by the Romans. So Greece is taken off the map and replaced by Rome, although Rome, um, although the Greek language continues. What do the Romans do with the Greek religion, the polytheistic Greek religion? Well, they swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. And what they actually did was just change some of the names so that Zeus becomes Jupiter, um, Poseidon becomes Neptune, and you can go, Aphrodite becomes Venus. They just changed the names. So, that was the, the Roman, where we are with Rome now. So again, many gods, what is right, what is wrong, depends upon which god you choose to follow. There's no empirical right or wrong. We then have this, 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 situ- this, this, this moment in time, which we, we know this story, so we, we, we forget just how incredibly wonderful it is. You have a moment in time now where you have effectively a legal criminal hanging, dying on a cross. He has about a handful of followers. He's got a a young lad who's probably in his mid-teens and his mother and his mother's cousin and a few people standing around the bottom of the cross. That's all there is at that moment in time. The disciples have all run away. Um, That's what happens. Well, you know the story from there, but 20 years later, just 20 years later, um, AD 51, this happened, Paul finds himself in Athens talking to the Greeks. And uh, the reason why I wanted this translation is because the Greek, uh, Greek language isn't the same as English, but some of our translations say he found a shrine to an unknown god. That doesn't quite carry the message. The best translation would be, he found a shrine to God unknown, would be the best translation. Or, as ESV puts it, to the unknown God. It wasn't just a shrine. The archaeology of our times tells us this was a whole temple. There was a cult inside of Athens of taking note of the God unknown. So when Paul stands before them, he is actually playing quite a deep, clever intellectual game with them. When he says, to the God unknown, they know exactly what he's referring to. These were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. These were people who knew their Greek philosophy. They knew their Greek stories. And if I know that Aristotle said that, they knew that Aristotle said that. And it is, I, I think, um, if you, some of our theologians and people are trying to pick up what Paul, who Paul is referring to, and they've picked on various Greek philosophers. I, I, I think he's referring to Aristotle. For me, the, 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 when Paul says this, in whom we live and move and have our being, sounds very, very similar to me to what Aristotle said. Um, although this sounds a bit complicated, it's much the same. For the actuality of thought is life, and God is that actuality. So we move and live in God. And the essential actuality of God is is life, most good and eternal. Um, In whom we live and move and have our being is sort of uh, an easier version of that. 
Paul is pointing, I think, directly to their history, directly to Aristotle, and he's challenging them. And he's saying, look, what do you choose, your polytheism, or do you choose the one true God? And it's interesting that they invite him, um, when we read the bit, that they invited him to come and talk on what was known as Mars Hill, the Acropolis. And it's a bit like asked to go and speak at the Oxford University. You know, he's pulled into the most academic place there is and asked to give an explanation. And he gives the explanation. And then we hit the one thing, the one thing on which the world turns. They were happy to listen to this. They were happy to listen to his his theology. They were happy to listen to his philosophy. And I'm sure he's pointing to Aristotle. And they know he's pointing to Aristotle. And then he says to them, and Jesus rose from the dead. Now, they turn off. And here is the whole point on which history turns. Do we accept, can we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? So difficult to believe, but not difficult to believe that God could create everything out of nothing with a big bang theory. Is it that difficult to believe that God, whom we all, even if you don't believe in God, you then believe in gear coming out of the chaos because here you are, folks. (laughs) You know, I'm here. And my scientists tell me that there was once nothing and there was a big bang and out I came. You can believe that. It's not difficult to believe that God came to earth God himself comes to earth and walks amongst us and lives amongst us and shows us how to live. And just like the world turned on Socrates, who tried to tell them something, so they killed him, but they killed Jesus the same way. didn't like what he said. This was a message that Paul brings to the Athenians. And there is a lot of... um, Iconic stuff going on here in, in, in the scriptures here because this is in Athens and we've, I'm taking the story back to Athens before. This is all deliberate. In the, but Luke wrote this, who was a, a Greek, um, Greek trained philosopher as well. So he, he's pointing to all these different stories at the same time. So, AD 51, Paul challenges the Greeks and th- their stumbling block is Jesus. God should become a human being and live amongst us and rise from the dead. That's the stumbling block. But they can believe that Gaia came out of chaos. Uh, And there's the conflict. Why can you choose one and not the other? If you choose polytheism, you you choose your own morality. If you choose the living God, you choose his morality. And then another great change. This... We know the stories, and so we forget just how amazing this is. At this time, you've got a few disciples now running over the world. By the time Paul comes to the end of his life, he's been turned into a sort of um, interesting thing that the academics can pull in to talk to, to a threat to the whole Roman Empire. So they, they, they execute Paul because he's a threat to the Roman Empire. So this is a huge change. But what happens next? This small group of uneducated, untrained, 
um, people who are dispersed all over the world, at this moment, they haven't even sorted out their theology. It's all over the place. They haven't even sorted out their scriptures. That's all over the place. 300 years later, or 250 years after this time, there are so many Christians in Rome that the Roman Empire converts its whole self to becoming Christian. Constantine comes along. The story of Constantine is interesting, but at the end of the day, a Roman Empire says, blow this for game of soldiers, we're all going to become Christian. And overnight, says to the Roman Empire, you're now Christian, ditch your gods. And they did. Ditch all these polytheistic gods, get rid of the lot, we have one God, and we're following Jesus. That, it's just amazing, over 250 years. And how does this come about? Because they preached Jesus. That there was no watering down of the truth. There was no trying to adapt the message to the days they were in. There was no making it easy. They preached the gospel truth as it was. And they faced persecution. And they faced imprisonment. And they faced death. But they preached Jesus. I mean, 250 years after um, AD 51, when Paul speaks to the Athenians, the whole Roman Empire becomes Christian. Now, we sometimes think, oh, they, 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 um, there, there were big issues. Of course, there were big issues. But let me just tell you the way that it sort of went um, in, in those type days. Uh, some years ago, I, I, I had a little bit of contact in dealing with Eastern Europe when it was still under a communist rule. And in some countries, you could, you could preach um, fairly openly. What you had to do was you had to write your sermon out and send it off to the town council, effectively, three or four days before you did it. And if they liked it, you could say it. If you didn't like it, you'd have to, you'd have to change it. Um, it was almost fairly innocent, as long as you kept within what they wanted you to do. It was not dissimilar in Rome at this time in, in, in the Roman Empire. If they didn't like what you said... You, you, you were invited to change it. Um, if you still didn't like what they, say, they said, you, you were invited to come down to see the, the Lord Mayor. And there the Lord Mayor would say, look, you know, we, we just want to make sure you're, you're okay, you're, you're a good guy. Um, there's a brazen there, a little flaming brazen. I want you to pick some salt up and just sprinkle it over the brazen and say you're a follower of, of the emperor and, and Jupiter. Just do that. Ah, fine you're fine. That was all you had to do. If you could pick a piece of salt up and sprinkle it on the flame and say you were a follower of the emperor, that was it. You were fine. And the Christians wouldn't do that because they were not followers of the emperor. They were followers of Jesus. There's lots of stories about this. There's, there's some, uh, if anybody wants some stories, they're, they're on Google, but there's a couple which are were quite detailed of how um, people went to their deaths rather than sprinkling a bit. That's all you had to do, sprinkling a bit of salt. So there's always a way out. So these Christians who were thrown to lions and persecuted nearly always had a way out. But they chose not to because they would not say they were following anybody else. And because of those people, Rome converted to Christianity. Because Rome converted to Christianity, our Western society developed. 
Don't anybody tell you anything else. History is full of the errors of human beings. It's full of sin. It's full of all the nasty things in history. Yes, I'm not defending history. What I am saying, if Rome had not converted to Christianity, we would not have the society that we have today. And there's been huge changes in our society. When I was about five or six, I remember very, very clearly being forbidden by my parents to play outside in the garden on Sunday. And some of my age will recognize that. Because Sunday was a special day. It was a quiet day. It was said it was out of respect for the people who had been working, who wanted a quiet day, etc., etc., etc. The moral standing of our time then was a monotheistic Christian uh, philosophy. You didn't have to be a Christian, but you followed that idea of truth. What was right, what was wrong. In the year 2002, a where have I got it? 2002, a educational committee recommended to the uh, English and Welsh uh, education departments that the letters AD should no longer be used in uh, dates. We should go to CE, meaning common era, rather than AD. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. The reason for this was because it was seen if we used AD, we were alienating uh, non-Christians. Because if you're alienating non-Christians, you're inviting non-Christians to come in to your society and your life in a more official way. Now, that's before we, we start saying, oh, yeah, let's ask ourselves what you're inviting in, please. And go back and say, yes, okay, is there anything in the Christian teaching that supports slavery? No. Is there anything in the Christian uh, teaching that supports pedophilia? No. Is there anything in the Christian teaching um, that, that, that supports murder? No. Truth is not flexible. Truth is God's. And if we invite polytheism and other faiths into our society, we invite you to change your idea of what is right and wrong and to choose your own right and to choose your own wrong. And that's where we are today as a society. And we look forward into the future wondering what's going to happen. I, for one, am not going to use the letters CE. I'm going to use the letters AD. And it's been rather interesting if you look at the last four or five years there's been some quite notable um, authorities changing to say, no, we're going to use AD. One, I think, was The Guardian. Because people are starting to realize if you open up your society to anything, you get anything. Why is it that we don't allow the Nazis to speak openly in our society? When you look at some of the people we do allow, there's very difference between very little difference between them and the Nazis. Nazism was a religion that followed one God, who was Adolf Hitler, Ein Führer. If you open your doors, 
you allow your society to choose its own morality. There is only one morality, that which God gave us. The stumbling block is the resurrection of Jesus. What changed the Roman Empire from polytheism to, um, to, the, to giving us the society that, that we have enjoyed was the preaching of Jesus and people paying that price. So we come to a time where we have clearly lost a Christian monarch. And today, our, our future at the moment, while I stand here, looks pretty unsettled. Um, economically, we are, I humbly put to you, in much worse case than we are being told. You can't take the whole of the Western world, cannot take two years' holiday for whatever reason and expect it not to be paid for. It's going to have to be paid for. The only way it's going to be paid for is rampant inflation, I'm afraid. We have a, a war going on with a, one of the most major energy suppliers in the world. We have the, the, the breaking apart of some of the strongest um, democratically run countries in the world with economic problems and social problems and, and whatever else. We face a very uncertain future. You have two choices. You can either live there in anxiety or you can say, as Jill said at the start, God knows what he's doing. You can put your confidence in God. God had, in this story that I've given you this morning, we've seen nations change within a couple of hundred years. We've seen complete revolutions within, within a lifetime when God speaks into a situation. He did it then, he can do it today. My faith is that if he does it, great. If he doesn't, then I have a very simple task. To carry on and proclaim the, the truth of Jesus without watering it down. While we're standing here now, we have... Um, you can look at the story, it's in the papers, but a guy in Ireland, not here, but in Ireland, a Christian is put in prison because he won't sprinkle the salt. All he had to do was use the word they, and he refused to because it was dishonest and it wasn't part of his faith. So he refuses to sprinkle the salt, and he's in prison. That's in Ireland. So these challenges are coming. Where are we going to be? Where are we going to stand? Paul leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. And he wrote this when he was in, um, to the Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Uh, I can't help but see the whole story of, of polytheism and uh, Gaia coming from chaos in there as well. You know, let's put it into their context. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Remember, he's just come from Athens. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and folly to the Gentiles. He's writing this with memories of him standing in the Agrippolis in front of the, 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 the um, Greek intellectuals. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our future is as bright and as powerful as our faith is in God. We're called as those early Christians to stand before Jesus, accept whatever persecution there is to come or may not come, but to stand and confess Christ crucified. So, the challenge to us, are we going to sprinkle the salt or are we going to stand for the truth as God gives it? Are we going to base our lives upon a resurrected Christ or are we going to choose Whichever right or wrong we choose by our own, choosing our own God. And of course, in here we have the gift of salvation. And the, the, as Aristotle says, God is an eternal God, and our consciousness is eternal. And that's from a Greek, not, not from a Jew. Father, we, we, th- we thank you for the great gift of your Son coming to earth, living, showing us how to live, and then being singled out and pulled out because your example was just too much for us to follow, to being crucified, dying in a way that was terrible, that we can not complain about our own deaths because you have undergone death ahead of us. But then rising from the dead, showing that our sins can be forgiven, showing that you can give every single one of us here the opportunity of a worthwhile life, however old or young we may may be now, that we can choose to have a worthwhile life following you with the sure and certain promise of eternity with you. We thank you, this God, for this wonderful opportunity and pray that every one of us here will be able to take that opportunity of living a life for you and not just for our own gods. Amen.